You've seen the best. You've seen the worst. Now here's the rest of both worlds. I'm Gayfesh, and I never kill anyone at the supper table. And I'm Ari. Dishonor on you, and dishonor on your cow. (laughs) I'm Vivian Wolf, and just like Kempek, I'm still fat. And today we'll be discussing the Star Trek The Next Generation episode, Sins of the Father. But first, uh, Vivian, welcome to the podcast. Hey. Tell us a little bit about your experience with Star Trek. Uh, What have you seen? What's it mean to you? I think... I have watched most Star Trek that exists. Uh, I haven't seen Star Trek Podigy, um, but I think other than that, I've seen pretty much everything. And I watched a lot of it when I was a kid growing up. Um, I watched a fair bit of the original series, um, and but mostly what was on TV was The Next Generation and Voyager. They were on TV a mm-hmm. lot. And The Next Generation is definitely kind of my... My comfy place you know it's it's some good comfort food yeah yeah i hear that from a lot of people you know this is my first time through but a lot of people find the show really comforting yeah yeah it's just it's just chill you know yeah and it's nostalgic and it's a nice comfy place to be uh chilling watching star trek feels familiar <laughs> <laughs> i'm i'm even trying to remember like i don't think there was a time that uh, I don't remember Star Trek. Um, like, I'm pretty sure the next generation started before I could form memories. So as far as I can think, it was just... No, TNG was just always on. Well, how old are you? You're... I'm 37, 36. Oh. You know, I'm so old now, I don't, I don't, even, <laughs> I don't even keep track of my age. Because I'm, I'm 33, and I, I kind of feel the same, but I'm pretty sure I was watching the original series on TV before that. Um, but the original series aired back in what the late sixties, early seventies. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess, uh, and TNG was what late nineties, right? Uh, uh, late eighties, early nineties. Yeah, eighty nine, I think, or eighty eight is the first year. Oh God, I was born in eighty eight. So <laughs> I, guess, I guess I actually am a next generation child. And I guess this makes me the old person here because I'm forty two. <laughs> But I grew up watching the next, you know, the original on syndication with my mom. That's we've talked about that a lot, that I've seen a lot of the original, but I never watched The Next Generation. Oh, wow. Must be fun for you then. So um, before we get into the episode, uh, if you're feeling so generous, head on over to patreon.com slash rest of both worlds for any amount. uh, You will get access to the episodes up to five days early and you'll also get access to a special spot on the Discord where you can suggest uh, small talks for us to have at the beginning of each episode. And for the $10 tier, we will read out your name at the end of each episode. And nobody's taken that one yet, so you could be the first. You could be the first one. (laughs) So today we're talking about Sins of the Father, which is the 17th episode of the third season. It first aired on the 19th of March, 1990. Um, The teleplay was by Ronald D. Moore and W. Reed Moran. And the story was by Drew Dagan and directed by Les Landau. This was so obviously a Ronald D. Moore episode. There is so much episode in this episode. I just there gotta is. say, <laughs> it, it, they crammed so much into it. It starts off with uh, uh, Worf's brother uh, being the new first officer for the officer exchange program. But then, like, once he reveals he's Worf's brother, it like completely shifts and they almost like drop that plot line. Yeah. Yeah, completely. <laughs> completely. They're like, oh, this isn't important. The real stuff has come along. <laughs> the conflict between the crew and the new sort of 
first officer exchange dude like it never really gets resolved in any kind of way it's just like Khan turns up he's a bit of a hard ass everybody's (laughs) a little bit upset by it and then and then he reveals that he's Worf's brother and it's like right we're off to Konos now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't really care that they were just part of a game for him to see if he could trust Worf or not. They were like, oh, okay, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got to say, though, there's the uh, early interactions between Kern and Riker, like when Riker's trying to tell Kern, hey, look, I've, I've been where you are before and y- you got to learn to like deal with the other thing. And Kern's like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm already learning to deal because I'm not <laughs> killing you for that suggestion. I know. But, yeah. When they go into the um, the turbo lifts together, I just I couldn't help but notice Riker towers over everyone on the show, and uh, uh, Tony Todd's got like two inches on Jonathan Frakes, so it's really intimidating to see someone taller than Riker. Yeah, that's true. I wondered why I found him intimidating in that turbo lift scene, and that's probably what it was because I was trying to figure out why I felt so weird about that turbo lift scene, and it's because he's apparently a giant person. Yeah, well, he's Candy Man. He's a uh... You know, he's a big dude. Oh, is that Candyman? That's Candyman. That's why he seems so familiar. I like (laughs) I paused it while I was watching it to see if I recognized the name, you know, on the prime thing. And I was like, no, that name doesn't sound familiar to me. So I went back to watching the show. But okay, that makes sense because his voice sounded so familiar. Mm -hmm. It's such a good, such a good casting choice because a lot of the other Klingons are very, uh, very brash right? Mm-hmm. Very, uh, just, they're brash and aggressive, whereas like, Kern is, he's, he's got this whispery voice that is like, straight up menacing, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. he doesn't have to be, he doesn't have to be all blustery and, and show-offy and, well, I'll murder you, etc. He just, he's, he's just, he's just menacing. He's a very menacing person. And yeah. it's such a great casting choice, I feel. It's very Klingon. Yeah, he was great. Exactly what you're saying. Like, I immediately was intimidated by him for no reason other than just his presence. Like, it was very good. Yeah. I did not call that he was going to be his brother. I knew the name of the episode title, but that I didn't know what that would mean. So I, I didn't I did not call it till he said, you know, I am also as from the family or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, oh, he's the brother. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I appreciate just the, the whole uh, antagonism he does to Worf because with everyone else his antagonism is being a hard ass Klingon uh, officer but with Worf is just insulting his honor basically yeah yeah very good <laughs> you handled that well <laughs> Worf just fuming and I gotta say that this episode is just chock full of amazing one-liners, and one of the first ones is when, like, Worf finally loses his shit and throws a table uh, at Kern, and uh, it goes, I am a Klingon. If you wish, a demonstration uh, can be arranged. And, yeah. like, <laughs> that is so good. <laughs> it's such a good line. Yeah. <laughs> I also really, really liked the line from Kern where he said, where he's, like, making fun of the meat because the captain, or Picard, is, like, cutting oh, yeah. up a turkey for him. And he says, I will try some of your burned, replicated bird meat. And that's how <laughs> I feel when people offer me impossible. I'm like, I guess I can try that <laughs> if you're really going to make me. <laughs> you <know? laughs> I, 
I loved that scene, the dinner scene, because Kern is just complaining about how bland their food is, and I'm just like, oh no, humans are the white people of they space. Are. <laughs> I mean, that's a running theme in Star Trek anyway, right? And I feel like they don't they don't really explore it enough until like maybe Voyager, but maybe not even then. Like just how borderline colonialist the Federation can be at times. Yeah. yeah, well, it's about claiming they're not. I know. <laughs> well, they, they they try to be. You know, they're they're the 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 happy liberal kind of colonialism where they you know try not to do it. They try yeah, yeah. a little bit. You know, just a little bit. <laughs> Everybody kind of has a choice, but this massive expanding empire is is taking over star systems right next to people, and they yeah. end up in little isolated pockets, surrounded by the Federation. What are you going to do, right? Like, <laughs> It's like, oh, it's your choice whether or not you join. Yeah, but you, like, own everything in the immediate vicinity. <laughs> I think the Federation just uses a lot of soft power, like, even if because even when they're uh, dealing with uh, species that aren't in the Federation, you know, there's still a lot of trading arrangements going on. I mean, the Klingon Empire is not part of the Federation, but they ally with them and trade with them. So it's, you know, uh, they're, they're just kind of, uh, they don't have to swing their stick very often because it's just omnipresent. <laughs> omnipresent large stick yeah that seems about right you know and they show it off by you know warping their big giant starfleet ship into people's systems all the time it's not intimidating at all yeah it's not often they do the outright threat thing um they do it a bit in the original series and i think they've only like they've started doing it a bit in strange new worlds as well but yeah it's not often they go actually we have a huge military and we can just mess you up <laughs> right. It's just implied. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of empires, there was the dumbest line in this episode when Picard called the Klingon Empire the Klingon Imperial Empire. Oh my god, I picked up on that. Yeah, I caught that too, and I didn't know if it was called that. <laughs> that was so annoying. <laughs> what other kind of empire is <laughs> oh. I think Patrick Stewart, of all people, would have picked up on that and gone, wait, I'm supposed to say what? <laughs> yeah. Maybe they couldn't get a writer on set, so they couldn't change the line. Maybe that's true, because they can't change it without approval or whatever. Yeah. Maybe he said it and noticed, like, immediately afterwards, and they were like, no, it's fine, we've done the take now we're not changing it you did you did great <laughs> most people won't know yeah, yeah. <laughs> they didn't redo that line because they would have to set up lighting again and this episode was really opposed to having good lighting i know it was just bad lighting the entire time red lighting whenever we were on klingon what is the name of their planet it's Kronos. Kronos. They don't Kronos. actually say Kronos in this episode they just say they were going to the klingon first city i don't think the name Kronos is uh mentioned until star trek six okay because back in the first season i believe they called it cling right yeah okay. and uh, they dropped that like a uh, uh like a hot potato <laughs> like, yeah, no, no, that's at... terrible the klingons from cling yeah i know <laughs> well i mean all, most of the other races are like that apart from humans right because we're special humans right. are from earth but like andorians are from andoria vulcans are from vulcan like ferengis are from ferenginar like yeah <laughs> you know it um honestly uh you would think that with that naming convention that our planet would be called hume, hume. <laughs> we're from hume 
Yeah, we're humans from Hume. <laughs> and that was like that joke in Infinity War where he's like, what master do you serve? And he's like, am I supposed to say Jesus? And he's like, you're from Earth? He's like, no, I'm from Michigan. <laughs> or whatever he says. <laughs> so they, um, okay, so we find out the Warf's brother's Warf's brother, and then they have to head to Kronos, but they don't call it that, because now Warf has to die for his father's crimes. Right. Yeah, they find out that his father's been accused of being a traitor because Worf, Worf ended up in Starfleet basically because his parents were murdered on Kitima, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is uh, is Kitima's an outpost, right? It's not a ship. Kitima is a Klingon uh, colony. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, a Klingon colony. It was attacked by the Romulans. Is it the Klingon colony that was attacked in the last episode we watched? Or was is this a whole different story? That was a different Klingon colony from the one in yesterday's Enterprise, but I think it was a missed opportunity not to make that Kittimer. Okay. And we, because we were just talking about Worf's origin story, because I said, I don't even know what Worf's origin story is. And then, bam, here's the episode. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think they do get, I think you do get to see it more in detail like later in the series. I think there's actually a whole like reenactment okay. of Kitamer or something at some point. I seem to remember that. Interesting. There's a two-parter later in the series involving Kitamer, and Kitamer yeah. is also featured uh, heavily in Star Trek VI. So um, it's a place. Okay, okay. But yeah, so it was attacked by the Romulans. Like, everybody dies at Kitamer, including Worf's parents. Um, but Worf gets, Worf gets off, right? Worf gets off. Yeah, he's a foundling. And and Kern never went Kern never went to Kitana. Kern was left with a family friend uh yeah. on, back on Kronos because uh well, well as we find out later, uh Moog actually went to Kitamer specifically to investigate a, a suspected um traitor. And but the story that the, the uh Klingon High Command is going with is that Moog transmitted the shield codes to the Romulan fleet which allowed them to drop the shields and then just uh, orbital bombard the uh, the colony. Right. So essentially, Worf's dad supposedly killed everybody, including himself. Yeah, and he so he betrayed the Empire, and because uh, Klingon codes of honor transfer to the, the sun for like seven generations, Worf's basically on the hook for Moog's uh, supposed dishonor. And so he shows up uh, to, you know, uh, lay challenge to it. Now, Kern, nobody knows that Kern is the son of Moog because after his family was killed, the family friend that he was staying with just adopted him. And didn't even tell him till he had his coming of age. Yeah. Cotillion. I can't can't remember what it's called. (laughs) And there's actually this really great exchange between Kern and uh, Worf, like... So Wolf, when he's when he's being when he's challenging this claim uh, against his father, he's not allowed to uh, fight or get in any duels. And there's a lot of fighting in Klingon justice, kind of like Game of Thrones. So Kern Kern says he'd be he'd be honored if Wolf would have him as his chadich, which is like his his second who can who can like fight on his behalf if needs be, if there's some kind of fighting challenge or whatever. Um, and Worf, uh, Worf accepts and names Kern as his Chadich, and uh, Kern says that he wants to reveal that he's he's uh, another son of Moog, and uh, and Worf says no, you're not allowed to do that. Um, and Kern gets a bit uppity, and then Worf says, you know, here on uh, 
uh, here on Enterprise, you're the first officer and you're you're the commanding officer and I follow your commands. But on Kronos, I'm the older brother and you will follow my commands. Mm-hmm. And that seems uh, that seems to me to like really make Kern go like really solidifies to Kern that like uh, Worf is not like a pushover or hasn't been corrupted by spending too much time with the humans, which is what he was kind of testing him for earlier. But I think that exchange kind of really solidifies it for him where he's like, yes, this is my brother, you know? Yeah. Kern is apprehensive at first about Worf, but Worf proves himself to be a true Klingon. A truer Klingon than uh, the Klingons themselves, as it turns out with this episode. Mm. Yeah, because as soon as they get to the planet, the the tribal leader guy is like, just leave, just leave this place. And it, that didn't seem like very Klingon-y to me. And that, you know, for me, it raised a bunch of red flags, but it did for Worf, too. Yeah, straight away. They have that confrontation in the, in the, in the I can't remember what it's called, the big hall in the first city. Yeah. Um, it's like a menpa or something, they call it, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, and... The charges are all laid out. There's a bit of an argument between Worf and Duras, who Duras. is actually a pretty big character in the next generation, at least when it comes to like Klingon and Worf stuff. Um, but this is the fir- I think this is the first time we meet Duras. I think this is the first time we see the Klingon homeworld as well. Yeah. Like in yeah. all of Star Trek, this is the first time we see the Klingon home- homeworld. So this is the first time we meet Duras. Um, and Duras is the one bringing the challenge. He says he's he says that um, he'd worked out that uh, uh, Moe's father had sent these codes to the Romulans. And then afterwards, um, just as you were saying, basically, what was it you said before? Let's <laughs> track. I don't even remember. Um, yeah. I, I will say though, just just thinking about the, the, this is the first time that we've been on Kronos. Just the set design, the um, the matte paintings of the the city and everything it is just mm-hmm. absolutely gorgeous. Like, yeah, they, they really really sell this culture with that design and just props. Mm. The costumes the entire- too; these yeah. were the best Klingon costumes and the best like headpieces. The main guy, the Duras, he has a really cool headpiece. Yeah, uh, the the House of Duras is a recurring villain, not just with Duras, but his sisters and his son, some other people show up, and uh, they all have that very distinctive um, forehead uh, yeah. shape. It's a familial thing, but it's it, it's basically just a nice way. It's like, okay, when they've got those strong side lines and just that uh, uh, the three-crossed um, ridge thing, that's, yeah. that's the Duras crest. That's, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was really good. I thought I think it was some I think it's probably my favorite Klingon makeup of the whole series so far. But they actually put a lot of time and effort into it. It felt like they were really trying to create the lore of this episode mm-hmm. so that we had the lore yeah. to build off of going forward. There's a reason yeah. that Ronald D. Moore is called the Klingon guy. And yeah. uh, basically all of the the best Klingon episodes of TNG he wrote when he uh joined the writing writers room for Voyager for like uh, half a season he wrote like he's like you look you, you might be in the delta quadrant i'm still writing a klingon episode <laughs> <laughs> he's just he's so good at developing them as a culture because really before he came around there was just kind of like vague understandings of what klingons were but he was just like no we're gonna uh, let, let, let's actually go into it and explore how they're kind of a, a feudalistic society with uh, codes of honor and all that stuff and h- how that works and the the inner politicking and how the politicking as we see in this episode 
stands in direct contrast to the conception of Klingons as this honor-bound race. Because everything that they do on the High Council is just... Uh, underhanded, sneaky, dirty, sneaky, yeah. dirty, cowardly, <laughs> and um, because they, the the uh, Enterprise crew, uh, you know, they're like, well, we got to earn our paycheck this week too, so let's investigate the evidence for Moog doing it and compare that with our own logs because they find out that oh, well, looks like the Klingons actually altered the records to to frame Moog, and uh, well, uh, I think we, we we might know who actually did it, and it turns out it was Duras's father instead right but the house of duras is a powerful uh house in uh, in klingon culture and if dishonor were brought upon that it could break the empire apart and lead to civil war but the house of moog is gone Worf is off in starfleet nobody knew about kern uh, uh and uh, uh moog's been dead right so it was easy to pin it on him yeah it was easy to pin it on him and when Worf shows up Kempek is just like dude just just go away we won't We'll leave you alone. Just don't challenge this. Just let it be. Right. But of course, Worf can't do that because Worf is a Klingon. <laughs> he is not just a Klingon. He is an outsider Klingon. He's one of those people who more like, to prove. You know, yeah, he has more to prove. He has an idealized conception of what Klingons should be because he had to learn it from the outside. Uh, I, yeah. I often call Worf a Klingon weeaboo jokingly <laughs> but his yeah his idea of what it means to be a klingon is not accurate but it is romanticized and it is like idealistic well yeah. it's, the, it's the it's the image that klingons want to portray to the rest of the world yes and it's 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 like a pure klingonness that is untainted by having to actually live in Klingon society. Because, like, I feel like a lot of the, the, the concessions people make to this code of honor, and I think this is one of the reasons I really love Klingons in Star Trek, is because I love old samurai movies and, like, the, mm-hmm. the Twilight Samurai series in general, right? Mm-hmm. And the Twilight Samurai series is all about how um, the Bushido code, or, like, the, the idea of what a samurai should be, conflicts constantly with um you know doing the right thing morally rather than being obedient to your lord or means that you can't do the right thing for the people you love right because duty is more important and i feel like wolf just has this he has this kind of easy time where he can he can be the perfect klingon because he doesn't have to live in klingon society yeah, and right. everybody else has to live in Klingon society and is so strictly bound by all of these rules and stuff, and yet still has to deal with the complexities of daily life with people constantly trying to backstab them with the violence of the Klingon society and also balance like love and family life against this duty and honor that they're supposed to value above all else. Can I just say one of the worst lines that Michael Dorn, that is his name, isn't it? Dwarf yeah. actor, yeah. has yeah. ever, ever delivered is when he turns up to the Klingon High Council in this episode and says, um, I am Worf, son of Moog. I've come to challenge the lies that have been spoken of my father. The camera angle is terrible. The lighting is awful. And <laughs> the his lighting. delivery is so bad. And yeah. it's just like, he, Michael Dorn's an amazing actor and like Worf is a great character. But it just for that moment, it just 
looked like uh, uh, I don't know some sort of fan edit or something. It was so terrible. I had the same thought. I wondered why it seemed so cheesy. It was like he was <laughs> posturing specifically to play up his Klingonness, but it just came across as like kind of farcical as a result. Yeah, yeah, that may that's a good explanation. There, how about that one moment when Jordy kind of throws him under the bus? I with when they were eating dinner though, because um, before they know that he's his brother, he's like. Like, oh, this food's all so bland. And I had meant to bring this up. And then Jordy's like, Worf seems to eat it just fine. And I was like, Jordy, what the hell, buddy? <laughs> you know that's going to be offensive. What are you doing? <laughs> like, I thought it was such a weird thing for Jordy to say. I, Because I, it's like, obviously, Klingons want to be known as the badasses, you know, not, not the guys who can eat the bland people food, you know? <laughs> well, and there's also kind of a, a running joke in Star Trek that Worf, just likes to eat disgusting things. Yeah, like, they've established that even in the episodes I've seen. When Riker made the the scrambled eggs that everyone else thought was disgusting, Worf was just like grabbing other people's plates to eat it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so okay, so we got we get to this point, and then they find out that Kern, I think, is the brother. I can't. I'm trying to remember yeah. how it happened. Duras and so- reveals to Kern that he knows that Kern is also a son of Moog and six two assassins on him, and um, yeah. uh, Kern gets stabbed. But you know he's a Klingon, and it takes more than getting getting stabbed in the in the liver to uh, to kill you. <laughs> but but he's going to take some time to recover. He's going to take some time to recover, so Worf needs a new Chadich. And of course, we get the best one. We get Captain <laughs> Picard as the Chadich, which also I love. I, I, just like we had that interplay with Worf and Kern, where he's like, on this ship, uh, you are my commanding officer. But on on Kronos, I, uh, you are my Chadich and you will listen to me. We get that same interplay with Worf and Picard, because mm-hmm. yeah. in, the mat- in Klingon Matters... Picard has to answer to Worf for this. It's like, no, you you will follow my lead here. And right. it was it was nice to see that role reversal. The Chadich will be silent. Yes. <laughs> Nobody has I don't think anyone else has been able to get Picard to shut up like that other than like Loxana <laughs> Troy. Yeah, I was just right. thinking Loxana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that Picard is very like He's respectful of other traditions, so he wants to, like, he's like, okay, this is my role, I have to be respectful, you know, that kind of stuff. He obviously did his reading, because when Worf asks him to be his Chadich, Picard says the exact same thing that Kern said in Klingon, which I don't have the translation for, but it was like, oh yeah, he just said the same lines, he's he's done his reading, he knows a little bit about Klingon culture. I don't know why I was so surprised that Picard spoke Klingon, but I was like, oh, He probably's not fluent, but he knows a few words. He looked that up before Worf came to him. Uh, The translation is, um, I accept with honor, may your enemies tremble before you. Yeah, that that. sounds like a Klingon thing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so then we get to my favorite part, where suddenly they realize there was a lady who is alive and she's a badass Klingon lady. I loved her. And her <laughs> name is Kalist. That's what it was. Like, I couldn't remember what so it was. Close to Kalist, but. Yeah. It's like <laughs> it's like the feminine version of Kalis, yeah. yeah. Um and it turns out she was Worf's nurse, but uh they were the only two survivors of uh Kittimer and she was separated from him when they were rescued, so Worf just assumed she died. Everybody assumed she died because she's like i can't go testify in front of the council because i'm dead which is weird because like if she's dead then how come the enterprise is like oh no we found records of her she's here living in living in the quarters yeah i know (laughs) i don't know it was weird the enterprise just has all the it has the computers it does the things they find them 
Yeah, so bounce the graviton particle bit, beam off the main deflector dish, all that. So uh, Picard goes to her, and but she's just like, no, I, I will not testify. I am dead. I cannot go. And uh, then Picard's about to like leave and, and give up on her when he gets attacked by assassins. And um, they're giving Picard more action this season because, like, a couple episodes ago, when he like le- leapt across the bridge to deck the terrorist, yeah, uh, he uh, he he shanks a bitch, yeah. He did. Um, he, but he also, so he's attacked from two sides and he gets attacked from the one side and then he turns his back to his attacker. And I was like, <laughs> that's, that's good combat, Picard. <laughs> <laughs> but don't worry, he gets saved by the old lady Klingon. That's yeah. right. <laughs> and, uh, obviously impressed by his prowess in battle, she agrees to, she agrees to actually go and help him. Right. And yep. there's also just a cute moment, too, because uh, back in the day, uh, Kim Peck, who is the, uh, the, the Klingon Chancellor, uh, he, he used to uh, uh, have eyes for her, but she thought he was too fat. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, they, they bring her to the council chambers and, uh, you know, she like even like Compex says, oh, it's, it's good to see you again, Kalis. And she goes, y- you're still fat. <laughs> <laughs> still fat, Compex. <laughs> but. Once they bring Kalist in, like everyone starts panicking and they're like, no, no, sidebar right now. <laughs> Let's go in private chambers. <laughs> we can't let her testify. <laughs> because, right. And then they lay out the, the whole the, the whole truth where Duras is his family is the one that betrayed everyone. And they explain, yeah, we can't let this stand. Uh, sh- she will not be permitted to testify. We will not sacrifice the Klingon Empire for the honor of one house. Just for the honor of a different house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. He says, uh, well, they wouldn't be sacrificing the future of the Klingon Imperial Empire, would they? <laughs> um, <laughs> if, if, yeah. But so he says they're going to go ahead and Worf and uh, Kern will both be condemned. And Worf says, not, uh, you know, condemn me, don't condemn my brother. I'm happy to die for the Klingon Empire. Um, after Picard, that's that's when you get the Chadich will be silent moment, yeah. right? Right. Because Picard's like, whoa, 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 whoa! I'm not letting you. I'm not letting you uh, execute my officer uh, for a crime he did not commit. And Worf's like, bitch, shut up! I'm talking right now. <laughs> <laughs> and he volunteers to die for the future of the Klingon Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, and but only if Kern's life can be spared. And Duras is like, well, no, because. That will uh, Kern's honor will require him to to take vengeance for that, um, and so uh, Worf offers to accept discommendation. I think they call it. Yeah. Right. Um, if if uh, if Kern's allowed to live, um, mm-hmm. and they all agree, and discommendation basically just seems to mean that he's considered a kind of an outcast in Klingon societies like Yeah, they they did Wakanda forever and turned their backs on him and (laughs) and, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that was it. I was like, okay, cool. Worf gets his uh, moment where he gets to go to Duras and say, you are the son of a traitor and backhands him Proper pimp slaps him across the face. <laughs> and Kim Peck is sitting there just like, yeah, he deserves that. You yeah. should do that. <laughs> Seems reasonable to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but and then he goes out uh, to the to the to the Klingon main hall and they all do the they do the thing, don't they? 
Um, they do the thing. They do the thing. Yeah, and everybody uh, they they all call him cowards, and uh, they all call him a coward, and and turn their backs to him, and he walks out um, with Picard, his chosen family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course, uh, he's like the bravest one of all of them for doing that, just to because they're all cowards who uh, uh, can't accept the truth because it'll tear them apart. So, yep. Uh, Worf is the truest Klingon in the room. So I've got two problems with this episode now that we've discussed the whole thing. My first is the House of Moog is not done with those two because there's the adopted kid that was like initiated into the House of Moog or whatever. Uh, Jeremy Astor, he he never comes up again. Don't worry about him. That that episode, whatever. (laughs) Alexander. Oh, well, Alexander hasn't shown up yet, so oh, we don't know. No, I'm yet. talking about the the white kid. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so that that Worf like adopted like eight episodes ago, and then we've never talked about him since. <laughs> and I will continue to bring him up. Um, he, I've forgotten that he existed. The only son of Worf I know is Alexander. Like I don't know who this kid is you're talking. About. It's Jeremy Astor. He was in uh, just like one episode early in the season. Um, he was. Is like the son of an officer who died under Worf's command, and so Worf because uh, he was a foundling, just like Worf. Yeah, yeah, like, and so he adopts him, and then I'm like, oh, cool. So is he a part of the crew now? And then he tells me, no, he's we're never going to see him again. And I'm like, what? It'd be, it'd be so much better if we had the, uh, had that kid instead of Wesley Wesley Crusher. Holy f- Wesley Crusher annoys the hell out of me. Oh, I love Wesley. I'm I'm a I, I'm a big Wesley fan. There's um, definitely two camps among Star Trek Next Generation fans. There's those yeah. who love Wesley and those who hate him. And I just find him incredibly irritating. <laughs> um, my other complaint about this episode is where the hell was Data? He was the one doing the research. He was the one who found out. Oh, yeah, that's right. They stuck him in the library with Giles. That's right. I forgot. I couldn't remember where he was. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's that's where he is. Okay, so because usually I, I would have liked to have seen his take like on the Klingon culture and stuff. He would have been so annoying if he had gone down to Kronos with them. (laughs) And it would have been like talking about Klingon stuff, doing things wrong, getting the Klingons mad at him. It would have been comedy gold. (laughs) (laughs) It would have been like, I I will die for the Empire. (laughs) But that does not seem logical to me. (laughs) This seems very very silly. (laughs) I have this scene playing out in my head of Data beaming down to the High Council chambers and just, you know, commenting matter-of-factly on everything, and he annoys one of the Klingons so much that they just, like, stab him, and then he just looks down <laughs> at the stab wound and just goes, fascinating, or something like that. Right, that would be exactly <laughs> what he would do, too. Yeah, he'd be like, huh, I seem to have been stabbed. <laughs> <laughs> But I really liked this episode. I thought it was such a, it was for me, someone who doesn't know a lot about the Klingons, since this is my first run through of the next generation, I really liked it. It set up a lot of stuff that I didn't know. I liked getting Worf backstory, you know. It's such a great way of introducing the Klingons in in a real sense into the next generation. Because, like, obviously back in the original series, they're completely different, and you might as well forget that they existed at all but like in in the next generation they're only kind of talked about and you only get to see klingon culture through like Worf's eyes right and as we talked about that's a very idealized version of uh, klingon culture right. and then going to kono's seeing all the sort of like the scheming the backhandedness seeing the streets of the first city and you really get a feel for 
the environment that Klingons exist in. And it just sets everything up so brilliantly. And you, I, yeah, I think it's such a great introduction to like what Klingons are from that point forward in Star Trek, because it just, yeah, like um, it changes so much from the first series and then it just completely right. solidifies and cements it. And they, they don't really deviate from it either. Like they, they just expand on that for like up until Discovery. Basically, like yeah. Klingons remain as they were in Sins of the Father. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I really liked about going to Kronos and seeing the the city was at first I was like, it's like a more primitive like Coruscant from Star Wars. And then I realized that that's what I think the show has been missing is like on location, quote unquote, shoots. Um, but we get those occasionally, but they usually look like original series sets. There was a lot more care and effort put into the set for the Klingon city. Mm. And it seemed more expansive than any of the original series type sets we've seen. I think also the fact that you've got low light and just the, the constant smoke of the Klingon yeah. culture, that, that can also hide uh, some of the lower detail of the, the TV sets. But the sets are beautiful, though. The sets are I mean, beautiful. They put yeah. so much work into this episode. but. Even so, like, you know, having the low light and the smoke, that adds texture and detail to it and hides mm. some of the stuff there. It's like, okay, well, that wasn't as detailed as I thought because it's hidden by smoke. Um, right. It's a lot like how uh, in like everyone thinks of how come the CGI in Jurassic Park was so much better than everything. It's like, well, they were playing to their strengths. Like the, uh, the mm-hmm. T-Rex scene is at night in the rain. In the wet. Yes, because they could make the skin look so much better if it was raining. And because it's dark and there's like mist in front, it can hide, you know, like any kind of a like a low resolution texture or anything like that. It was just and also it was before they did digital color grading. I've heard that that has uh, affected a lot of the the realism appearances of CGI. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, no, it's just they play to their strengths and so while I did complain about a lot of the lighting in this episode, because there's times where Kern's face is just completely in shadow, and I'm just like, dude, where, where right. is the light on this guy? You can have mood lighting and have yeah. light and light up someone's yeah. face. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think, yeah, it works well for the Klingon. And, you know, the, the Klingon aesthetic has always been that that grungy, low red lighting and smoke. And right. uh, so th- that just gives them that good kind of a, a feel, just like a, a grimy industrial uh, aesthetic. Oh, when they first beam down to the um, to the Klingon like tribunal area, there's an X behind um, Picard. And I was like, oh, I found the X because, <laughs> you know, I play that game with Picard <laughs> when, or, or with um, Xavier, when he's Xavier. And so I had the moment of, oh, he has the X behind him. And I was like, no, no, no. Wrong series. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I loved this one. This was good. This is a good episode. This is probably one of the, the, the best episodes we've had so far. Yeah. And I just season three is when we get Ronald D. Moore on the writing staff. And, you know, he's he's definitely shown his chops so far. And things take off. Yeah, for sure. It's it's amazing to think that this was his first writing job. It is. Yeah. This is how he got his start, and now he's he's created so many amazing shows. He did Battlestar Galactica and For All Mankind and uh, Outlander. And um, did he do Outlander? Yeah, that was Ronald D. Moore, uh, and he's was like one of the big driving forces in uh, Deep Space Nine. He supposedly fixed Roswell. Like <laughs> I never watched Roswell. Have you but... guys have you guys already seen the Ferengi episode where they're on the planet and the Ferengi are all? 
feral and hissing and weird. Yeah, that was uh, the last outpost. That was uh, one of the first episodes. One, I episode feel like five. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, so this guy that you're talking about, the writer, I don't know enough about the writers. Like, it seems like he helped solidify the Klingons and helped solidify the Ferengi uh, in Deep, Deep Space Nine, right? Because you, do, the Ferengi in Next Generation are, are a joke. I, they, yeah, mostly they're a joke, right? Whereas, like in Deep Space Nine, they're like a, a more fully fleshed out culture, even if they are still a little bit worryingly anti-Semitic and, um, <laughs> so, you know, uh, still slightly comedic. Um, they're 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 much more fleshed out. They feel much more like a real culture rather than just these weird little golem creatures. With dryer tubes for weapons, yeah. Um, I was not impressed. I have not been impressed with the Frankie yet. And every time they've had Armin Shimmerman on like three times that he hasn't been Quark, and I will continually complain <laughs> about this. Like, I, I don't even like, I haven't seen Deep Space Nine, but I know Armin Shimmerman is Quark because everybody my entire life, every time I'm watching Buffy, has to point out that he's Quark. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so I've been waiting for Quark, and he's been on the show like two or three times now, and he's still not Quark. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> Not Quark. Yeah, no. Just random Ferengi. I think Quark does show up in an episode of TNG, like as Quark. Um yeah. so you're gonna see Quark on TNG before we even get to Deep Space Nine. <laughs> well then, finally, right? Yeah. Well, I started airing uh Deep Space Nine started airing like halfway through TNG, didn't it? Uh, season like, six. Season six, right. Oh, so close to the end, okay. Is it like Angel and Buffy where it like they interact with each other or are they completely yeah. separate? It's pretty separate. There's like one or two crossover episodes, but for the most part, they're just they do their own thing. OK, well, I think that's everything I have to say about this episode. But before we say goodbye, guess what shipped yesterday? My 3D chest shipped yesterday. Nice. <laughs> I'm very wow. excited to play it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to come over. We'll get some cameras set up. We'll figure out how to do it and we'll put that one up as a bonus video. All right. So I think that's everything for today. Thanks so much for joining us. And thanks for joining us, Vivian. Yeah, yeah. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. It was, of uh, course. It was a lot of fun. I like talking track with people. <laughs> we love having people on, too. So, um, I'm Ari. And I'm Gayfish. And I'm Vivian. And until next time... Live long and prosper. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe and consider writing a review in your podcast service. We're on Twitter at Rest Both Worlds. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash worlds for bonus content and hear your name at the end of each episode.